My mama would say, you gotta fight for what is right. To her I would say, I wanna give back the world some light. But it's an empty road I feel so alone I forgot what I'm fighting for When the weight of the world Keeps you up at night When you're running with no end inside Lot you and you could find with Christ You want to change the world But you don't know where you should start mm-hmm. But you can't give your all Unless you let God inside your heart Good morning, Patriots. And it is Thursday, February 15th in the year 2024. Interesting times, as we all know. Things are continuing to percolate up. Lots of reveals happening, and I think some of the deeper reveals are deep within us as to whom we are and what we are as a culture. I'm going to play a piece here in a little bit that's one of those difficult stories to listen to about children who have been held captive in their own home by their parents just have to really ask the hard questions of who we are as people and how these things can be let to be had around us so easily. And much of that I think results back in how we see ourselves and how we've dealt with ourselves internally and how things are moving along. This war that's being waged against humanity is unprecedented. It's coming at every single angle and vector that they can possibly invent to create so much chaos and then to use every single trigger we have in ourselves to start sowing hatred and division, which they do masterfully. And in the process, it's difficult for us at times to even get through that storm internally, let alone deal with the storm on a global level. There's a piece that came out today by Dr. Kate Lindley. This is at KL Veritas on uh, X, formerly Twitter. And I think this kind of 
sums everything up is to the insanity and intensity of the world war, the world's war against humanity. It says, today, a law was passed in France qualifying any opposition to mRNA, LNP injections as a sectarian aberration. It carries a penalty of up to three years imprisonment and 45,000 euros as a fine. Quote, it will not tolerate any criticism of the therapeutic treatments which will be recommended or made obligatory by the state. Any person who dares to openly criticize these therapies will be liable to fines and imprisonment. And such is the state of the world and the gloriful era of intelligence that Klaus Schwab likes to talk about, which is a complete totalitarian state and prison planet the way they want to make it. The problem that we have, other than these glimpses of what I would call over-optimism and propaganda, propagandized hope, which comes from the origins of the Q movement, is we really don't know whom to trust. And I mean that. There is a criticism placed on the um, comments in Podbean that I came across yesterday, I believe. And the comment was, you're back and forth on Trump. Make up your mind. That's essentially it. And so I think it gets to the core of this. We're in a position where we're having to look at people from different ways. We have to, and I'll use President Trump as an example. We have to look at him in from the lens of somebody who was able to rally together an enormous amount of people to show them that there was strength in numbers. That was the MAGA movement. We equally have to look at him as the vaccine salesman, which he became. And we have to look at the various relations that he's kept, including his relationship with Israel and his ardent defense of Israel, as Israel is in the process right now of exterminating children in the Gaza Strip at an unprecedented level. They've now killed 12,000, over 12,000 children there in what they considered to be a just war. And that leaves us with very difficult options as we head into an election period. When I go back to the original position that I led in 2016, which was called Kilroy Rising, and you'll find that letter still under my name and the words Kilroy Rising in the Breitbart archives, Breitbart News archives. All you have to do is do a search in the search bar. You'll find that the endorsement of President Trump was done because President, because General Flynn had taken a step up to endorse him. And our endorsement was de facto choosing Trump because he was the best option available. It did not say anywhere in there that he was perfect, anointed, all the things that had been placed upon him since. And this, I'm using him as an example of the world that we're in, that there is a world of massive amounts of corruption and deception that it's difficult to see who is who and truly who you, whose heart you can trust because what we're leaning into ultimately is that world where we're leaning into God at all times. And that's a level of kingdom perfection. Unfortunately, people's hearts are far from perfect, my own included. And as we try to see into that at a level of power, this dealing with the power of the entire world in its hands, there is a lot of things to question and many things to be cautious of. So in the, using Trump as the example, which I have gone back and forth on him, and even to the point that I won't vote for him and then maybe I will vote for him, you're hearing kind of some open discussions from me dealing with some very complicated times of what is the best navigated strategy that I'm sharing with you and you take it on and do your own research as always because nothing is clean and it becomes exceedingly important to realize how unclean this world really is. Our world is a mess. 
it's a mess because at the end of the day, we continually place our authorities onto men to lead us when we have been given the authorities by God for us to lead ourselves. That's the essence of the republic. And the critical part of this is we've allowed the dialogues to continue. And whether these people, and Trump does this, whether these people don't know what, it, what a republic is and they use the word democracy, or whether it's by design to try to debury the concept of a republic because their handlers are telling them to do so, one doesn't know because we don't know their heart. And that's where the ultimate problem lies because even if we are to be given the authority of the republic where we the people truly have been given back the powers that, that were given to us by God and only God could take away, that was the principal foundation of the republic, this country is not ready for it. We're not ready for it on any level. We're not ready for it on a personal accountability note. We're not ready for it on a getting along note. We're not ready for it in the terms of even understanding what those sorts of authorities and powers are. And unfortunately, most people are very comfortable with handing over their authorities for someone else to handle it for them. Ben Franklin's famous quote, "You have a now you have a republic. Good luck keeping it. There is a lot of truth to that. And that truth is important to realize that we have a responsibility as the people of this nation to step in and do the right thing when many times we just choose not to because the right thing is difficult on our lives. And so we're being channeled to try to do the right things on one level and controlled on the other level of the consequences if we dare stand up. And this piece I just read here from France is a great example, is that that government is now out of control. And unfortunately, when a government starts to take on that authority and impose that over people, especially with a lie like the COVID con, and especially when you have someone like President Trump who has openly defended and sold that to the world, we end up in a very difficult situation of trying to get to truth at all because so many people truly want to worship him and not see him for what he truly is, whatever that is. And I can't answer that any more than I think anybody else can. We just don't have the answers as to what Trump is or Trump isn't. But what we do know at the end of the day is that things don't add up smoothly and we don't have answers. When we take the mRNA shot as an example and we take his strong efforts of pushing that death shot, um, in fact, I'm going to play something here just as a reminder. Stand by. Um, I want you to hear this in just a second while I get this set up because this is, this is at the core of a lot of what we're talking about and why this becomes so difficult. So take a listen. I have really good news. Today our nation has achieved a medical miracle. We have delivered a safe and effective vaccine in just nine months. This is one of the greatest scientific accomplishments in history. I am the chosen one. Somebody had to do it. No medical breakthrough of this scope and magnitude has ever been achieved this rapidly, this quickly. And then people don't want it. And it probably even affects the others because, you know, there's a big situation with a lot of people don't want to take the vaccine. Well, this played right into their hands. And they want me to do public service messages and everything about everybody taking the vaccine. And look, I guess in a certain way, I'm the father of the vaccine because I was the one that pushed it. The vaccine is one of the greatest achievements of mankind. Yeah. And there you go. There's the core of so much of our problem these days is truth. And we have a hard time at this, and I've done this. I mean, I've openly tried to explain where the possible solution of that is in what I call the Kobayashi Maru scenario, which came from Star Trek. 
and that was the unwinnable scenario. And one could make that very logical argument that there was only so many options that you were boxed in, that you had to take the side of the, of the vaccine to hope that those that didn't take it would be, listen, would be reacting to you. You'd have to self-sacrifice in order to save the many people. That sounds like a great idea. And it arguably, I can make that case for it based on sentiment analysis and based on human behavior. But the problem is that we don't know the heart of the individual. And when we lack the heart of the individual, we don't understand truly what's at stake. Now, I want you to listen to this next segment on this same piece. This is a compilation, obviously. And of all people, this is Bill Gates. And as I listened to this and remembered this interview, I'm shaking my head going, we didn't even listen to Bill Gates. And in this case, he was right. When will there be a vaccine? People like myself and Tony Fauci are saying 18 months. If everything went perfectly, we could do slightly better than that. But there will be a trade-off. We'll have less safety testing than we typically would have. And so governments will have to decide, you know, do they indemnify the companies and really say, let's, let's go out with this uh, when it's, we just don't have the time to do what we normally do. You can run into safety issues. So we're gonna have to take something that usually takes five or six years and get it done in 18 months. If you wanna wait and see if a side effect shows up two years later, uh, that takes two years. That takes two years. See, here, here's the whole issue at the core of so much of this is there's so much lying in the world of politics and power that there's nothing ultimately you can trust. And what we try to find is the heart of the individual, which is rooted truly in, the, hopefully, the love of Christ. And even that is a difficult gauge at times because we know that these people will use anything for the benefit of their power. At the core of this is really the discussion of whom we are. And I think as we get more and more clear with whom we are and where we walk and as we walk with the Lord, we have to start separating ourselves increasingly from any form of government, knowing that governments are run by men and they're flawed and they're going to be corrupted by men. And even if you take the Q program, and I'm going back to this because it was so influential and it has many positive effects of waking people up, but the Q program itself is built on the concept of deception. It's built on not speaking the whole truth. It's built on having to speak in these metaphors and suggested code language and in interlacing that with non-truths and it openly admitted it across the way that some of this, not everything on that board was true. That's not of God. And that's where we have to start really asking ourselves of whom do you trust and whom do you really rely on? The truths around us are massively dark. And the other question is, is at what point do you just tell humanity the truth and quit trying to hide it? And if you're trying to hide it, then one, you believe that humanity is not capable of handling the truth and that an elite group of people are, and somehow they are going to be the stewards, the guardians, so to speak, of the world to protect humanity from themselves. And these are difficult, difficult positions to be in and when you're trying to wake up a world and elevate them to a greater understanding of whom we are and what the world is. We are slowly being channeled into a place where they want compliance with us. And the compliance that we're in is, doesn't, isn't painting out to be a good thing, no matter what side you're on. If we take compliance with the World Economic Forum, we're talking about human enslavement at a maximum level. If we take compliance with what we consider to be, say, a mainstream narrative, um, you're going to end up in a Zionist control model of what that's going to look like. Let me play this piece here on um, that I think gives a perspective on a lot of this in a, in a really important way. And it it is a piece by Alex Jones and kind of giving you the idea of the matrix and the back end of the matrix of what we're competing with every single day. I just got to say it. I mean, it was one thing with the last administration and I, and I was hoping it was a fluke and was going to 
stop, but I mean, come on, folks. Every key person in the Bush administration and now in this next administration just so happen to be the sons and daughters of the founders of Israel and Mossad chiefs and people, and they're openly not even really U.S. citizens. Now, I'm against Schwarzenegger being a foreigner, and he's over here anti-gun, and he also wants all these carbon taxes and the rest of it. So, you know, it's the same thing. I'm sick of but but, but we don't have, you know, Austrians in every you know, major power position. Um, British intel's deeply infiltrated and got their people everywhere, too. And in Harats, in the Jerusalem Post, in the agency French Press, these are the headlines. Obama's choice for chief of staff puts Israel's man in the White House. And that's the headline in Israel. You know, we run the White House. We've got the White House. I mean, but then as an American citizen, I'm not supposed to mention that. I'm supposed to just sit down and shut up and go along with that. I mean, it's not enough that Israeli government runs the company that does 98% of caller ID and phone tracking in the nation. That's been mainstream news. Is it not enough that Israel has the sole contract to, quote, guard the nuclear weapons? Our own government doesn't even have control of them. Is it uh, not enough that um, Israel had fingerprints all over 9-11? This nation is now completely and totally under international crime syndicate control. A consortium of wicked robber barons, black nobility, that is the old royal families of Europe, intermarried and interbred with the Rothschilds. That piece obviously was done back in 2007-8 period. And it's important to understand the, the magnitude of what is being said there because the matrix is being run by the same people meaning that every time you turn around and you bump into what you think are alternative sources in that are even in the, in the kind of mainstream model that we talk about, you're bumping into their version of the truth. There is a massive manufacturing of information going on to try to keep people within the boundaries of what's acceptable. So that's when we go back to that piece I started with about France and passing a law that says you can't even speak about the therapeutics of the injection. As we deal with the consequences of their war on humanity, these consequences are of an order and a magnitude that I don't know that many people will be able to grip or grasp and hold on to to realize what has happened. We have had over the years an intentional destruction of our entire way of life. If we roll back to what we were as a nation in the founding of this, at least as we understand our histories and we move forward to where we are today, it's an unrecognizable country. We recognize it, frankly, in a strange way. We say that there's continuity because we have the same colored flag. There's a truth to what I say. The United States now is, has the longest flying same, same flag as any of any nation in the world. So, We've had 240 plus years of a flag that gives us continuity in our mind that we are somehow the same country. But we're a country that has been ravaged and a country at the heart where we're trying to struggle even to hang on to our faith and our belief. And at the core of all of this, there is only one answer. We know it. And it's the answer is it's but God. And that's powerful, but God. And that is a powerful place that requires each and every one of us to dig in and do a diligence and a deliverance and a, a house cleaning and an inner healing at levels that are unimaginable on a, even 10 years ago, five years ago, maybe even two years ago. Because we have to push ourselves outside of this and have such extreme faith that not only are we walking with God in these profound ways, but we have to accept the consequences of what that means for we will be persecuted for the beliefs in Jesus. And we have to be willing to walk into that. Yesterday, Valentine's Day, which I didn't make a lot of yesterday, but it was important to recognize that St. Valentine's is demonstration of that day. It's a day of love where he literally defied the Roman emperor and said, I will marry men when they made marriage forbidden 
so that they could recruit more people to go fight in the wars that men didn't want to go to and didn't want to leave their families for. So they imprisoned him for having marriage. And after they imprisoned him, then they would write him notes and he recited them sincerely or love your Valentine. And it became a day of him, a time of him giving to God greater than anything the government could do. And they ended up beheading him for it. He's a man who truly walked in the authority and belief in what God had to bring. And the consequences of what he was doing were very real. If we had a world where that type of commitment was made at that level and that willingness to take that much risk, most of this stuff would stop happening. But the fact of the matter is, and this is not a criticism, it's just an observation of truth. The majority of people aren't willing to take that step of sacrifice to do that in their life because we're afraid of something here that we're going to be having to leave behind or having to lose. And that's the step that's going to be required to defeat this measure of evil that is laced into everything. An evil that has taken form on so many levels. An evil that is constantly trying to push a narrative that there is a evil in white people. There is an evil in believing in who you are. There's an evil in, in believing in God. Our pulpits have been corrupted. If we just started there and we started to speak out against pulpits that aren't willing to take a stand against Israel, can you imagine? I mean, Israel's become the, the idolatry of most pulpits in the nation. But they don't want to look at this other side, the consequence of what that war is really doing. And if it's not that war, it's another war. Let me play a piece here about what's going on in Gaza that I think is relative and uh, kind of gets all this in perspective of the greater challenge when you place this in terms of what people are getting at the pulpit. Why is what's happening in Gaza right now at this moment is the worst it has ever been. I'll explain it in a few seconds. Let's say you live in Gaza right now and you sell potatoes to support your family. Okay? Okay. Now after October 7, Israel starts its bombing campaign. And this is Gaza Strip and let's say you live over here. And announces that it's going to start a ground invasion from the north. Now you're scared and you don't want your family to die so you and most of the people that are in the north evacuate a little bit closer. Now Israel is still bombing everywhere but it's more in the north. Now. Some papers are dropped by the IDF and it's telling you to evacuate to the south again. Israeli military is warning more than one million civilians to evacuate south. It does specify one road to evacuate. And while evacuating, they're still bombing that road. Bibi, you're evacuating everyone to the south. It seems like ethnic cleansing. Ethnic cleansing for peace? is absurd. Oh my bad, it's not. Now most of us are in the south in a safe zone. Now there are obviously a lot of bombing, but a little less bombing than the north. Now the IDF literally posted this map, a squid game map. What the hell is this? Bombs, no bomb. Bombs, no bombs. What the hell is this? And now the bombs intensifies here. So most people are gonna evacuate a little bit further. Then this paper drops. It's asking everybody to evacuate to Rafah for your safety. Aww. Most people in the north, almost everyone in the south, are literally in this spot. And because Israel is concerned for your safety, they're asking everyone to leave. So one second, I'm gonna call my private helicopter. If I'm lucky and I find a spot, I'm gonna build a tent for my family. Most people around me are gonna sleep on the street. Now why are these times literally the worst times in Gaza? Not only because they don't have food or water for more than 120 days, but Israel is mostly bombing Rafah, this location that has almost the entire population. Bibi literally announced that he's gonna start a ground invasion in Rafah. Gaza needs you right now more than ever. If you were talking about Gaza before, now they need you even more. Rafah. I made that mistake yesterday. I, I, I think I said Haifa yesterday in the news, in, when in the show, but it's Rafah. Rafah is, they've now herded everybody to the south of Gaza into Rafah. And during the Super Bowl, while people were enjoying their ads paid for by the ADL and other groups to tell us how we need to be kind to Jewish people and not use anti-Semitism. Israel dropped 50 bombs on Rafah. And the pictures coming out locally had children plastered onto the walls without legs. This is what we're endorsing. This is what we're paying for. This is what we're, our taxpayer dollars are part of. And unfortunately, that goes so deep is it's even to the place where so many of the 
mainstream flows of the of what goes on in the pulpit are standing with Israel. You're not hearing that, that dissenting voice that's saying, whoa, caution, where does Jesus say that it's okay to bomb a people out of existence? We've developed a concept of a villainized humanity that when we sit on one side, we're okay pointing the finger at another because it makes us feel safe. But that's not Jesus, and that's the problem. It's not Jesus. I'm going to play a piece here. It's about three or four minutes. It's powerful. This has to do with a little girl. It's an older piece that was done. Actually, no, it's not an older piece. I take it back. This just got posted because this was posted yesterday. This is a police report with a body cam, but you'll hear it. The, the audio is fantastic on it. Of a little girl that a police officer came across on his patrol. This is suburban America. This is houses of some wealth, 300, 400,000, 500,000 up. This is a little girl who's escaped from her parents because all of her siblings are being starved and being chained to their bed when they try to eat and take food. This is the, this is the core here of our main problem. That when we have all of these other things going, we start to realize that at the core, we don't have to look far to find corruption. We have to start with what's in our heart and in our neighborhoods. And we have to stop pointing our finger at looking at the boogeyman like it's some sort of great evil ogre, be it Russia or China or the, the amazingly, incredibly dangerous Palestinians that we can justify bombing out of existence and realize that what we're really looking at here is a group of people that will do the same to all of us, but they've distorted us so deeply in our head that we don't even want to take a stand or take a look at the signs locally. Sherlock Holmes, the character written by Arthur Conan Doyle in one of the books talked about in a discussion between Sherlock and Watson as they were taking a train out into rural London. Watson said, what a beautiful place this is. And Holmes said, if you knew the horrors that went on behind those closed walls, you would see it very differently. There's a lot of truth to this. Our change is going to happen when we start to live into a communities where we start to hold our communities accountable and we start to bring our communities and our pulpits accountable to the word of Jesus, not to the politics of, of religion and not to the distortion of life and not to the ability to turn away from horrors and pretend they don't exist. It's a good report. Take a listen. going on okay ah. I let me set this up this is this starts with a police officer engaging a little girl in the street you'll notice her language is a little bit different she's a little bit out of breath this is a family just to read it this is body cam footage of jordan turpin after and this is the girl who escaped from her parents in 2019 so it is a little bit older story she and her 12 siblings were kept imprisoned in the home for decades and were only allowed one shower per year. When deputies entered the residence, they were met with stench of garbage, human feces, and dead pets. She's escaped, and this is the body cam footage and the story, and you'll hear the dialogue. And so he, this officer has just now come across her on the streets in this suburban neighborhood. Hi, what's going on? Okay. I just ran away from home. Okay. And I live in a family of 15. Okay. My two little sisters right now are chained up. They're chained up? Yes. Where are they chained up at? On the bed. Now, mother didn't chain okay. them up just to be mean. Okay. Okay. They're chained up because they stole mother's food. Uh-huh. But I'm sorry if I talk too much. Okay. I've never talked to anybody out there, so I don't, I don't I've never been alone with a person, so this is very hard for me to talk. Okay. How did you, do your parents know you left your house? No, they don't. Do you take any medication? What's the medication? Medication? 
Yeah, what's the medication? Do you take pills? Do you take pills? Oh, I or... don't think I've ever taken a pill before. <clears throat> okay. Right, I haven't. Um, but... The girl with the strange vocabulary nervously puts on a little hat, a reminder of one of her sisters right. who's depending on her. Our parents are abusing. They abuse us. But the reason I called and the reason I managed to get out here, this is one of the most scary things I've ever done. Uh -huh. I'm terrified. But I called because my two little sisters are chained up right now. The deputy, a nine-year veteran of the force, is not sure what to make of this 17-year-old girl who looks so much younger. He is ending a graveyard shift, and it's been a hard night. Robbery calls, assault calls, deputies were shot at. He responded to the runaway call because he knows how they usually end. You take the kids back home to reconcile with their parents. I decided to take it, uh, thinking, hey, it just, this might be a good way to just to end my shift. And then, on instinct, he asks a question. Do you have pictures of that? Yes, I can show you. I actually didn't have it, and then one of my sisters told me I need to get pictures. You have pictures of your sisters chained up? Yes, but uh, they're, yeah, they're in here. Okay. I, I don't have proof of everything, but I have proof that my sisters are chained up. So see? She doesn't seem to know the word bruised. Wait, you can look at that. See, those are the places that make a on that. And see how dirty she is? We are so filthy. We, we, we don't take baths. We don't. How did your sisters get like this? Okay. Your parents yeah, trained them up? Yes, because they stole food. Okay. But they stole it because they were hungry. Who took this picture? I did. I took those pictures. <laughs> okay. You make sure to save these, okay? Okay, I will. Don't get rid of those. I will. I won't. They looked very, very sad and malnourished. They were very pale. This is that deputy, Anthony Kalachi. Once I saw that photo, it really sealed the deal for me. Kalachi knows this girl is not your usual runaway. She has identified a possible crime in progress, and her parents could be trying to find her. Can you do me a favor, take a seat in the back of my car? Okay. Do you have any injuries? What's injuries? Are you hurt? Oh, no. Not right now. Kalachi radios in for backup. One pair is 32. Can I have 1110? With his body cam running, he gathers more facts, trying to piece this story together. What are your parents going to do when they find out you left? Uh, they're going to want to literally kill me. What's the worst thing they've done to you? Uh, they have choked me against the bed and... Did you call the police? I know, I didn't have to wait to see the phone yet. This is the first chance I've ever told Suddenly, she remembers another detail, a horror recounted as part of her everyday life. Oh, my brother's chained up, too. Um, They're chained up? One of my brothers is chained up. Uh, so three people are chained up right now. What does your mom do? Nothing. She just stays at home. She, uh, but she's always gone. Well, why don't you guys just leave the house? Because we're terrified. We, we don't really have a way. Everyone's always looking. There's always somebody. Deputy Kalachi is stunned by the girl in the back seat with limited words and so much courage. I asked her what her middle name was. She said it was Elizabeth. I asked her to spell it. She She couldn't spell it. I wanted her to know people on the outside are loving and caring. He notices a video on her cell phone. She's singing. He asks to watch it. You me for everything. I don't understand. This is a great video and you're a beautiful singer. Daylight arches over a pleasant suburban neighborhood. It's Sunday. Most residents are still asleep. Quietly, Riverside County Sheriff's deputies pull up to a house. On the outside, a house just like the others. It has been an hour and a half since Jordan Turpin climbed out the window. So they was like, if we walk in, will they still be chained? And I was like, if they didn't notice me missing yet, yes. But if they notice me missing, they're gonna try to cover that all up. When they asked me if I wanted to come up, and I was freaking out. I was like, no, 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 like, 
Honestly, I thought, like, knowing them, what if they killed me right there and there, even if the police were there? Sam doing a welfare check? Yeah. Since a child may be in danger, the deputies do not need a warrant to enter the house. They knock for two minutes and ten seconds. They're obviously not open. Then suddenly the door cracks open. Hi. Hi. A mother and father appear. How are you doing? Good. We got a call for a check the welfare here at your house. They are breathing heavily. Yeah, buddy. Do you guys have kids in the house? Yes. Okay, what kind of car did you get? How you doing, sir? I'm doing okay. Well, yeah. we, we were just in bed. I mean, like... David and Louise Turpin, who have concealed a chamber of horrors for almost 30 years, There's now watch as no, deputies no. start to we make their want... way through the door. Well, we're going to come in and check, okay? This is in, some, in the suburban neighborhood. We talk so much about getting to know your neighbors. And we talk so much about literally trying to build community. And what it just really reflects deeply is a world that has become so isolated into our boxes. We don't know what goes on next door. And so it becomes very easy for us to reflect across the world to find the boogeyman when the real evil sits maybe just a few feet away. Jordan Turpin. J-O-R-D-A-N, Turpin, is the name of the girl. And she has her story. You can look it up online. The full documentary piece on her, I think, is over an hour. And the depths of it are profound, of what the tortures that they went through and endured in that family. They're horrific. And the question we have to ask is, how can something like that exist? Whether it's a smell, whether it's a uh, suspicion, how is it that we aren't being attention to where we are and yet we're so willing to pay attention to the evils that they point us to? See, that's the ultimate level of control and it's the ultimate level of accountability. In a neighborhood like this, as it would be in any suburban neighborhood, when you find something of this magnitude of horror, people want to turn their back and blame, and blame the parents, which is fair. They are the perpetrators of the crime. But in the true sense of kingdom, we all share that responsibility. Because in the true sense of kingdom, we didn't extend the power of love and engagement as Jesus would want us to do. That's where we take the power back. That's where we stop letting evil find a, a lair to live in and around us. And it means that we have to constantly be vigilant, not only within our homes, but also within the realms around us to understand what's really going on. In a sense of the modern pulpit, we like to talk about the bigger things, either the personal issue, what we're each accountable for, or we like to talk about things in more general broad strokes. We don't like to talk about the neighbor next door. One of the things that was evident when I was down at the church in Thomaston, Georgia, is that a mile and a half down the road was a trailer park. And it was a sphere of influence within the church's reach. A mile and a half, everybody passed by drove to to get to the church. That trailer park a mile and a half down the road, and there was another one even closer than that, a house closer than that, were known to crack dealers. Every single person in that church had lost somebody to meth or crack, and those locations that I just mentioned were both meth and crack. And yet there was no willingness except for one person, my good friend who was... Special Forces trained to go in. He was a Special Forces sniper and medic. He would go into these places and engage them, not to bring rain down violence, but to engage them. And in the process, actually saved one little boy that was in a home of being, it was being abused. We have to have that sort of courage. We have to start really looking at where this world is going to change. Because the world's going to change by our individual acts and what we're doing with one another. And in the process, we have to root out where the evil is and we have to bring in and separate the sin from the sinner. 30 years, I don't know how long these people lived in that same house, but it was long. And you have to ask yourself, how is that even possible? How is it possible that somebody didn't see something after all that time? How is it possible people weren't suspicious? 
And yet, that's the world we live in. It's a world that we are now consumed in. The vaccine stuff is losing its control. The war on Gaza is being brushed under the rug as we watch children, over 12,300 of them slaughtered. We don't say a word. And that's being done by bombs and, and tools of war that are either delivered from the United States or developed by our taxpayer dollars. The thousands that have been killed in Ukraine is part of the funding that we're channeling into Ukraine is a process where we are literally killing randomly with our own tools of war and we're openly bragging about it and people are flying flags saying it's good because we have to defend off Russia, not even knowing the first thing about Russia or Ukraine politics. They probably don't even know the, who, the, who anybody in the Ukraine government is. And if they did, I'd be shocked if they would even support it and since most of them are mobsters and members of the Nazi party. And that's not to put Putin on a pedestal. But that fight wasn't ours. But we wanted part of it, and we want part of it because we can fund it with millions and millions of dollars. And we have a president... Trump that nobody wants to talk about. Nobody wants to throw him down on the rug and, and, and ask him, why were you the vaccine salesman? How many lives are you now responsible for? We have main influencers to this very day that have been cautious and coming out against the injection, saying that it's our choice. And yet the data is evident that it's destroying lives. And the list goes on. We have NGOs and churches involved openly. And if you've seen the latest O'Keefe release, it's a Unitarian church that's running one of the, the trafficking lanes for these illegal immigrants. Churches have now become part of an influence program to bring in illegal aliens across this border, and they're complicit in human and child sex trafficking. And yet they justify it for their sake of humanitarian and love. And they're openly raising money for it through their 501c3s. You're starting to see the problem here. We've lost our underpinnings. We've lost our moral base. And we don't understand truly what it is to have a nation that was blessed. We've even lost that perspective. There's this do goodness in America that wants to help everyone else before it helps ourselves. We send missions across the world. We go to Mexico, we go to Africa, we go to China, but we won't send a mission a missionary team into inner city Boston, inner city Baltimore. There's a horror for you if you want to see that. We won't send them into places like inner city Philadelphia or inner city Atlanta or inner city Portland or, or San Francisco, Houston, Dallas, L.A., Seattle, Denver. We don't want to do that because it's not sexy. It doesn't. We, we hear always, look how many Christians are unsaved in Africa. We have to go there for the sake of the kingdom. And I say, clean up your own house before you let more demons in. And effectively, that is the scripture where if we, if we cast out the demons and our house is unclean, they will come back sevenfold. Effectively, that's what we've been doing. But our house is our country. We have to get into that inner peace of who we are. We have to start realizing that we don't have to go farther than the end of your street to find problems. And it's not to start looking for boogeymen, but we have to start looking for what we need to be doing in building up this nation from bottom up. And it's a challenge. It's, a hard, it's the hardest work. Easiest place to go is on a foreign land, ultimately, because that's where you don't have to be fully accountable in your daily life. You're just told to do orders or you're allowed to do things to get the work done at any cost. The hardest place to work is when evil's all around you, in your hometown, in your home community, where the evil doesn't show its normal face. It doesn't put a turban on its head and fire an RPG at you. It doesn't sit up behind a rocky enclave with Chechnyan advisors sitting next to you and shooting a, a Dragnoff sniper weapon to try to take you out. Those are the great stories of Hollywood, so to speak, even though they're real. Evil wears a smile. Evil's taken root in the most precious places, whether it's the pulpit or the sheriff or the county commission or the school boards. That's where it's taken root. 
And it's those places that are the hardest ones to dig out because we are sometimes alone when we face it. But it has to be brought out. Where's the courage in the pulpit? And then where's the courage in the pew to challenge the pulpit? That's part of having a church is the open testimonies and accountabilities. How many times have you heard in this last six weeks or so of the war in in Gaza of somebody in a church standing up and saying, Israel is wrong. Israel's killing kids. How many times did we hear that in the Iraq war where we ourselves killed over 400,000 kids, if not more? I think the total now is over a million we killed on the Iraq invasion, and yet we justified it as a culture. The evil's always outside of our border. And because we don't look inside, we have a government that's corrupt. We have a military leadership that every general is complicit in the crime to kill soldiers or maim them, every one of them. And the excuse will always be the same. I'm following orders. I'm doing the best what I thought I could do for the country, which is untrue. Because at the end of the day, we know that every single one of these people are being run by one primary group of people in the world, and that's Mossad and the Israeli government. And this is where we are. So if Israel and that coalition of leadership there is so noble, if they are truly so biblical that we need to give all our effort to them blindly, that we should be a second-class citizen under them, that they're somehow representative of God's two-tier justice system, I want you to ask yourself a question. This same government that's slaughtering kids, the same government that runs our government, that slaughters kids, traffics kids on a global level, it's all being run ultimately by several key organizations. One of them is the power structure of government in Israel. The other one is the Catholic Church and the other one is the intelligence agencies. If these are the things running our government and they are supposed to be so good, rooting us back to this defend Israel at any cost, do you really think that that reflects Jesus? I know it doesn't. And that's the errors of our ways of being misled and being led down the path of a distorted mind and one that is not of God, but one is that has been distorted by the perceptions of good and evil and missing the principle that one of the most important things in the world. God has given to us the most precious gift ever, and those are the newborns, the children. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, please abort them, please distort them, please mutilate them, please blow them up. It says quite to the contrary that we need to do all we need to do to protect and defend them. So at the core of that, there is not a government on this earth that I would trust. The only one I would follow is God. And we have to find that root in our heart to have that courage on a daily basis to understand that that fight is won, block by block, person by person, neighbor by neighbor. That's how it's won. And that's when communities come together and deal with these problems from the extremes, like Jordan Turpin, to the horrific, like what's going on in Gaza, to or being done around our across our southern border with the human sex trafficking and literally military personnel moving these people around, or people obedient, servants supposedly, wearing a uniform called Border Patrol that are obeying orders and letting this horrors continue. This is where we have to put a stop to it. It begins on an individual level of choices that we make. Ultimately, it's a simple question. Whom do you serve and under what law are you operating? It's not any more difficult than that. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you today. It's very humbled by the stories and reflections of the time in which we live. We are truly in a point now where we have to step into a harder walk, one that places us sometimes at odds with those things that we've become so comfortable with or so 
willing to accept. We have to start pulling back the veneers and seeing what's underneath. We have to sometimes find out that there's tunnels under a synagogue, like in New York, that go to places like children's hospitals. And we have to, and with bloodied mattresses in the tunnels, that people suddenly want to bury and hide the truth. We have to face the hard truths of a war based on, quote, terrorists that puts more emphasis on killing children in Gaza than they do on solving the problem of where the real terror came from. We have to look at churches that are involved in supporting trafficking across the borders in doing it for humanitarian purposes when they become hand in, in hand with the cartels and trafficking children for the greater exploits. We have to start looking at the home of the greatest consumption of pornography and child porn and child sex encounters and child trafficking. It's here. It's not across the world. That's the most horrific of evils, and it is greater. there's more consumption done in our borders than anywhere else in the world. This is the world which we now have to relens. We have to retell the story of whom we are and stop kidding ourselves to thinking that we're the land of the free and the home of the brave and our continuity is great because of a flag and start looking at what that flag really has come to represent, not what it became or what it started from, but what it has become and understand who we are as a people as seen by you. And that's the truth at the core of everything we're doing. Because when we can sit back as a people and we can reflect on whom we are in your eyes, with your heart, we begin there on our knees in repentance. And that's the only way back. So Father, we just ask today for your blessings and for an encounter, which we pray for regularly, so profound, the encounter of Christ before each and every person, whether waking or in dream that will let that heart be known, the heart of accountability, the heart of forgiveness, the heart of love, and the heart that shows us that the way back is repentance, no matter what you've done, no matter where you are, and a repenting heart of a nation to steer it from the brink and back into the control of you and into the arms of you. So Father, we just pray that blessing upon this nation today a prayer of, of repentance for a nation to come to the, the moment of realizing that we don't have to seek an enemy across our borders. We need to begin to seek the enemy that lurks within. It is truly the true invisible enemy that has corrupted man's hearts and led us astray and led us to accept and tolerate the most horrific crimes ever. And they're happening on a daily basis. They're happening in our neighborhoods. They're happening in households. They're happening in parent, Planned Parenthood clinics. They're happening in doctor's offices in the back room. They're happening at Walgreens, at the pharmaceutical counter. They're all here. And we have those choices to make. And it's at those points, Father, that when we start to realize truly whom we are, I think we truly begin to re-engage our love in you. So our prayer is for a repenting heart, for a nation to repent for where we are and a nation to repent for a pleading to you to allow us back into your arms. We ask for your blessing and your mercy. And we say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. This is where a nation saves itself. It's when it has the courage to repent. And that's the moment we're at right now having the courage to repent. And we, that happens by a few that have the courage to lead others to do the same. In Bard's Fest 1, when God put on my heart that we had to repent, it was after the prayer team gave that to me and said, we need to repent. In Bard's Fest 1, that repentance that happened was led, and it was very powerful. It was led just by me getting on my knees and doing as God said. We can lead others to that place, and we must. People need to feel the freedom of that, that's given when we do that and the responsibility that we assume when we accept that role. A nation needs to repent. 
And that's where we go back. We aren't trying to accelerate into a future of great new technologies and new horizons and and everything's going to be solved by a big roundup of people that supposedly a next president's going to bring in. That's all just nonsense. It doesn't change. A nation does not change until a nation changes its moral base, the rock on which it stands. And right now we're standing on sand. We need to get back on the rock of faith and our loving Christ. And in so doing, steer this nation back. And it doesn't have to be a political office you hold. It's the daily actions we do with those that are around us, those that we engage, those we encounter, to lead them back to Christ. And that's the moral pivot. That's the true grounds-up revolution that will change this nation. Patriots, keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God always wins. But we are here in this time in this place for just such a time as this. We're at war. So walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Subdue the enemy. Mission forward. Patriots, I'll see you tonight for Barnes FM. Until then or until the next time, God bless and out for now. We shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and the success of liberty. Every thoughtful citizen who despairs of war and wishes to bring peace should begin by looking inward, by examining his own attitude towards the possibilities of peace. Too many of us think it is impossible. Too many think it is unreal. But that is a dangerous, defeatist belief. It leads to the conclusion that war is inevitable that mankind is doomed, that we are gripped by forces we cannot control. We need not accept that view. Our problems are man-made, therefore they can be solved by man, and man can be as big as he wants. No problem of human destiny is beyond human beings. Man's reason and spirit have often solved the seemingly unsolvable and we believe they can do it again. Surely the opening vistas of space promise high costs and hardships, as well as high reward. So it is not surprising that some would have us stay where we are a little longer, to rest, to wait. But this city of Houston, this state of Texas, this country of the United States was not built by those who waited and rested and wished to look behind them. This country was conquered by those who move forward, and so will space. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept. The energy the faith, the devotion which we bring to this endeavor will light our country and all who serve it. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. thousands of years to show its face. It has only one intent, to destroy God's light and to enslave. It has no scruples. It has no rules but one, to win at any cost. But we will never bow, for we are the remnant 
that will hold the line. This is war. We fight. We push. We climb. We never give in. We become the nightmare that evil didn't know could exist. We pray. We stand. We live by the words, in God we trust. We fear nothing. We are the light that can never be extinguished. We are patriots. We are the digital army that will help deliver God's wrath.